Hey everyone, welcome to the Faith Chapel podcast. We are so glad to have you join us. Faith Chapel exists to help people follow Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, and be on mission with Jesus. No matter where you are on your spiritual journey, you're welcome here. If you have any questions about who we are or what you hear, you can visit faithchapel.cc or email podcast at faithchapel.cc. We'd love to hear from you. All right, let's dive into this week's message. Hey, we started a series a few weeks ago where we were talking about family and we looked at um, Joseph first. And if you have a dysfunctional family, <clears throat> Joseph will give you a run for your money. He came from this incredibly, a lot of, by the way, a lot of biblical families are pretty dysfunctional. Um, he came from this incredibly dysfunctional family and yet, and yet, nothing that happened to him could thwart what God was going to do in him. And he ends up being in this, it's this circuitous route. It's filled with pain and rejection, but he ends up in this place where he's able to do exactly what he was set aside to do. Last week, we looked at this one simple phrase. It's from the 10 commandments is honor your father or mother. We explored what that's like. It's a commandment with a promise so, so that you can live a long life and everything will go well for you in the land I wanna give you. And we just realized that a lot of times Every human being has to work through family issues and we can get stuck there. And it keeps us from going to the place, the land where God would have us to be. And so how do we figure out how to honor people who have not always acted honorably, right? And this week, I want us to look at a letter that Paul writes to his friends in the city of Corinth. We're gonna read from 1 Corinthians chapter seven. And... Paul is going to address this. Here's like the big question. What do you do with family members who are in a very different place spiritually than you are? In specific, if you are a follower, a disciple of Jesus, and then you have family members who have completely different spiritual outlooks, maybe they're spiritually unresolved. Like, how do you, how do you function? How do you interact in that way? Um, I think that would be everybody. Like everybody has people. It might be a parent, it might be a child, it might be a spouse, it might be a grandson, whatever it is. We have people and we, we desperately want them to know who Jesus is. We're concerned about their eternity and we're concerned about their here and now. And we wonder like, what do we do? How, how do we work our way through this? So here's what's happening in Corinth. The Corinthians had sent a long letter to the Apostle Paul. He was the founder of their church. He was their original pastor, but he's moved on now to another place in the Roman Empire, starting new churches. And they send him this letter with all these questions. As their community develops and they're living in this Greco-Roman world, they send a number of questions, questions about spiritual gifts. And some of their questions are about the family. And apparently what seems to have happened is you have couples who were married and one of the individuals in the marriage begins to follow Jesus and the other spouse doesn't. And so the Corinthians who are a part of this church are so confused and concerned. They're wondering like, what do we do? I, I'm, 
I've had my ethics changed. I've had my values changed. The way I spend my time, my money, the way I think, everything has changed as I begin to follow Jesus. And now maybe not, my kids aren't in the same place and my spouse isn't in the same place. So does that mean, is this marriage, like can it survive? with one person who loves Jesus and one person who doesn't? Do I have freedom to walk away from it? Uh, what about my kids? Like, where do my kids stand? So th what he's using specifically is this, this spousal thing, but I, hear me on this. I believe this applies to anyone who has family members who are in a different place spiritually. We call it being spiritually unresolved. Um, it's easy to break up the world into, like the church often uses the saved and the unsaved. Um, I like to use this term. Some people are not yet resolved, <laughs> but they're in process. And by the way, if that's you, we're so happy that you are tuning in because listen, we hope this is the safest place in the world to ask some really dangerous questions type of questions that could alter your life forever, but it's a safe place to ask those. So if you are spiritually unresolved and you're hearing this, this is gonna help you understand something. You probably have a family member that drug you here today. <laughs> or you have a family member who has been like talking to you about like, hey, you know what I read in the Bible? And you're like, I don't care what you read in the Bible. You know what I read in my novel, right? And it's just like, why, why do these family members care so much about my spiritual life? You're gonna understand from this passage, it's a big deal because I'll, tell, I'll just put it this way. I don't think there's anything in my life that has made me pray more intensely, anything that's made me lose sleep more than concern over family members who are in a different place spiritually. It has, um, I just, I love them. And I, I want them to understand what forgiveness looks like. And I want them to understand that Jesus can take their shame and he can cover that with his grace. I, I want them to know how desperately Jesus loves them. And so that, that's, that's why you have family members like that. It's because they care for you and they don't always know what to do. And so sometimes they've tried to coerce you or manipulate you, right? I get it, I've done it all. And Paul's gonna give us a template for dealing with our families, okay? Our families. So let's read together from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter seven. <clears throat> and we'll start at verse 12. To the rest, I say this, Paul's talked about a whole litany of family issues. He's talked about human sexuality, all of this answering their questions. And now he's going to move into this. I not the Lord. Now we'll explore what that means. Like what? Well, I thought whenever we read the Bible, it was supposed to be the Lord. Why is Paul saying I not the Lord? If any brother, so that's a man who is following Jesus, has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. Okay, before I read the rest of these sentences, this is without a doubt like top 10 most confusing passages that Paul writes. Okay, there are, 
I'll give you my best explanation, but there are books and doctoral theses written about this. Like what in the world are you talking about? Paul, it seems to be in opposition to almost everything he says. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace, not, not to force people who, like you can't force anybody to love you, right? You just can't do that. How do you know, wife? I think we could also put in here, how do you know parent? How do you know grandparent? How do you know wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know husband, whether you will save your wife? Like the end of the story hasn't been written. Who knows what God can do? All right, let's explore this for a few moments. Let's look at this concept of what, what do you do when we face the reality as the Corinthians did that some of us in our immediate families and our groups of friends have found Jesus and others haven't and some are really struggling with what they believe. How do you interact with them? Number one, let's talk about Paul's intro statement where he says, I, not the Lord. What does that mean? All right, so disciples of Jesus, one of the things we fundamentally have to reconcile when we begin to follow Jesus is what is this book? What is this book? So we believe that would be followers of Jesus that this book is God's instruction. It's inspired. It has all, like all the instructions that help us live our lives principles. It tells the truest story ever. It guides us and leads us our ethics, our morals. It helps us to know what to believe. And so throughout the centuries, people have come up with infallibility, inerrancy, all these big, big words to describe this. We think this book, is sacred. And when we read this book, we believe that we're reading not just human opinions. Instead, we're reading an inspired set of 66 books that God left for humanity. We stake our eternities on this. We stake our values on this. We submit to even its hard teachings. So when we get to a point where Paul says, hey, little break parentheses, I'm going to answer your question about these believing, non-believing members in your family. And this is me, not the Lord. What do we do with that? Well, here's what Paul typically tried to do. Paul had this really mysterious life. He had a radical experience with Jesus when he was trying to eliminate the early Christian church. He was on a road um, and he is knocked backwards, blinded, has an encounter with Jesus. His life completely changes. Uh, he begins to then try to build the church of Jesus. He begins to try to plant churches, but everybody's scared of him because he'd been incarcerating followers of Jesus. And so Paul disappears 14 years of his life. We don't know what happens. There's one reference that says, I was in the desert of Arabia and I was taught by Jesus. So here the apostle Paul has these 14 years where he's instructed by Jesus. He wasn't one of the original disciples. 
And after those 14 years, a guy named Barnabas finds him, pulls him into leadership in the church. And then Paul becomes the most influential person in the early church. He travels the Roman world multiple times planting churches. So Paul typically tries to reiterate, to contextualize, to teach what Jesus taught. However, Jesus only taught for three years. And we have his teachings in the four biographies about his life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But even John says this, I couldn't even begin to grasp everything Jesus taught. In fact, all of, this is what John says, all of the books in the world couldn't contain his teachings. So we don't have Jesus' teachings on every little nuance of the human experience. So Jesus, as far as we know, we don't have it recorded at least, never talked on this subject of in the midst of a family, what happens when one person is following Jesus and the other isn't? So Paul, I love this. In all honesty, he says, I cannot answer you from the mouth of Jesus, but I'll give you my thoughts on this, okay? I, not the Lord. Now, one of the interesting things about Paul is I, I would venture to say that he's one of the most intelligent human beings that has ever walked the planet. And one of the most adventuresome, like, the guy's resume is outstanding. Nobody compares to it. But sometimes when we read Paul, you might feel like I felt when I tried to take calculus in high school. About three weeks and I realized, nope, I'm dropping this class and I'm heading for philosophy because I get that, okay? You ever felt like a kindergartner when you're reading some of Paul's letters? Here's a funny thing. Peter, who is the original leader of the church in Jerusalem, all right, Peter who walked with Jesus, Peter who, who Jesus said, I'm gonna build my church on, 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 on what you say and how you lead. This is what Peter says about some of Paul's teaching. You'll relate to this, ready? Peter, Second Peter chapter three, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort because they can't understand them. They make them say whatever they prefer them to say, as do the other scriptures to their own destruction. All right. So even Peter says, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm in calculus and I'm not getting it when I read Peter's stuff. But, but, or Paul stuff, but you know what? Like, I know he's always trying to build up the church. So I'm just gonna like pray, God, help me to understand Paul, okay? Anybody like that? This might be one of those sections for the apostle Paul. All right, so it's Paul saying, listen, I'm gonna give you my best pastoral perspective on your question regarding family members, some who follow Jesus and some don't. Number two, what does Paul ask for? Paul asks for stability in the home. He says, because you've had a spiritual change, do not seek a family change. Now to the unbeliever, Paul says this. He says, listen, I have no expectations of your life. You've not submitted your life to Jesus. If you wanna, if your, your spouse, your family member became a believer and you're like, I can't handle this any longer and you wanna go, you can go, right? So he gives this freedom 
to the person who's not a believer, but to the believer, he has heightened expectations. And he writes to the believers who are wondering like, hey, I love Jesus now and my spouse doesn't and I'm worried about my kids being raised by somebody who's not a believer. Like, can I end this marriage because Jesus has changed everything and Paul writes to the believers and he says, no. I need you to stay stable in that relationship. If they wanna leave, they can leave. But Paul says, for the followers of Jesus, we have heightened ethics. We have heightened expectations. You do not make your decisions based upon your emotions. You make your decisions based upon what you believe is right and true, what you believe Jesus would do. So he writes to these believers in in Corinth who who they're saying like, I'm lonely in my marriage and I want to influence my kids in a certain way, but my spouse isn't there. And what does Paul say? You just keep loving and you stay in that marriage and you stay committed. Paul never had expectations for people who were not believers. In fact, we often talk about uh, what does it mean to be a judge or a critic? Paul says this in some of his writings. He says, listen, I don't ever judge the world. Like if, if people aren't followers of Jesus, they're gonna live like heathens, why wouldn't they? But what I do do is I judge those in the church meaning there are expectations for the followers of Jesus that the Bible places on us where we submit to his teachings even when it's uncomfortable. One of the challenges that we have in our culture today, like I just say that really, really humbly, is oftentimes the church begins to judge culture. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You're not supposed to judge culture. Culture's living according to like their philosophies and their thinking. We are supposed to be stringent when it looks at, when we look to the church, that we're looking at each other and we're holding each other accountable and we're saying, listen, you submitted your life to Jesus. You can't do whatever you want anymore. Your decisions, your ethics, everything has to be submitted to him. People outside of the church can do whatever they want to. We don't have any control over that, but we are called to hold each other accountable, to live different lives. So Paul says, I I just want you to be stable in that relationship. You can't force somebody to love you. So if the unbeliever decides to leave, let them go. We want peace in in your homes. So number two, Paul says, I want you to remain stable in your families. Number three, this is where we have to tackle this really, really difficult section. This idea of shared sanctification, okay? Where Paul goes, hey, listen, Don't you understand that the uh, believing wife uh, creates some sort of holiness for the non-believing husband or vice versa, and then the believing spouse for their children? And we're thinking like, what in the world is this? Because Paul is the guy who through his writings sets out the whole idea of sanctification, meaning uh, to be set apart. Okay, and it happens at an individual personal level. So let's define sanctification first. It's not a word that we use very often, right? You don't go to your boss this week and go, hey, listen, I just want you to know I sanctified the break room. They'd be like, what, what? What is sanctification? So it's it's an Old Testament Hebrew concept. It was also part of the ancient world in the second century in the Greco-Roman world. And it was this, it meant to be set apart as holy or unique. So in the development 
of the tabernacle that the Hebrews built, which was a traveling place of worship. You could tear down as they're wandering for 40 years. They would take an item. Let's say it was a, a lamp that created light within this tabernacle. And this lamp would then be sanctified, meaning it was set apart for holy use only, only in this tabernacle. So you couldn't take that lamp home and use it in your house because it was sanctified, it was set apart and it was only to be used for these sacred moments. In the same way, a priest, the first priests were Aaron, Moses' brother, Aaron and his sons. Their lives were sanctified, meaning, listen, Aaron, you're not even gonna be a farmer. We won't even give you land. You, you are set apart a, a, like a, a, a ritual happened where they were washed, oils placed on their head. They were prayed over. They wore these special garments. And they said, Aaron, here's what you do. You and your, your sons, you are our priests, meaning we don't need you shoveling the manure, okay? We need you to be set apart that your life is about helping us worship God, that's what sanctification means. So in the ancient world and in Hebrew culture in particular, here was the challenge. If this was sanctified, okay, meaning it's already been set apart, it's sacred. If this thing, we'll take an individual, came into contact with someone who was not sanctified, Okay, so someone who worships another God or even there's like stories of if, a, if a, a priest comes into interaction with a dead body, here's what happened. The holy or sacred thing was polluted by the unsacred thing. And so the process of sanctification had to happen again. It had to be prayed over, anointed, set apart. So the idea of tainting is what, what we're talking about, is that a holy thing didn't, it, it didn't influence the unholy thing, okay? Instead, the holy thing was influenced by the unholy thing, and then it became tainted. So here's what I think is happening. There are books written about this. You can find other opinions. But I think that the people in Corinth, and I think the text leads us to this, the people in Corinth are saying, so I understand that marriage is this really sacred thing in the Bible. It's not about a license. It's not just something that's recognized by a government, but instead marriage as it's introduced in the book of Genesis, and this is the theme that goes through the whole Bible, it's two people being forged together to become one. A month ago, I got to stand with my son and his bride-to-be at the moment. And they held hands in front of me and I talked to them about what was happening. Yes, we will sign a marriage license from the state of Montana. But that is secondary to what God is doing. He's bringing two lives, and this is the phrase the Bible uses over and over, making them one flesh, forging them together. So the ancient world really understood that and believed that. And so you have these believers in Corinth who are saying, I'm forged together with someone who is unclean. Does that then make me unclean? Does that then make our children unclean? 
because this is how it's happened through history is that unclean things taint clean things. The, the unsanctified pollutes the sanctified. And Paul says, you don't have to worry about that. The table has been altered and changed in this new reality. In fact, here's what's happening. You, as the holy person set aside following God, you are the one who is influencing the person that doesn't yet know Jesus. You, your relationship with Jesus, your prayers cover your children. Does that mean that they automatically, if they died today, they end up in heaven? That's not what Paul's saying because later in the passage, he says, who knows, maybe they'll get saved, right? But what he is saying is you, you, you can hang in that marriage because what Jesus has done in you is big and let the grace of Jesus, let the love of Jesus leach into the members of your family that don't yet know him. Like just, just let it cover them in this beautiful way. Know that if you care about them, God cares about them. I, I don't know about uh, if, you, if you've experienced this yet, but as my kids get older, <clears throat> they're all adults now. There are these moments where we gather and uh, they tell me stories about their childhood that I'm like, you did what? I thought I was this super conscientious, aware parent. Are you serious? And they're like, yeah. <laughs> You're like, what in the world? I'll I, I tell you what, there were moments, not so much with my daughter, but with my three boys. And maybe you're watching this and just know this is because I loved you so much. When I knew they were struggling, right? And I would like, after they fell asleep, I would crawl into their room and like, while they're sleeping, touch their, like their arm or something. <laughs> like, God, help this kid, help me. Lord, I don't know what to do. It, it was like these desperate, desperate prayers. But when I read this, here's what I know. God, they have to figure out their own relationship with Jesus, right? But while they were in my home, like I, God notices that if I love them that much and I care that much about their future, their eternity, their soul, their heart, God would care that much more, okay? So what is shared sanctification? Well, it doesn't mean that just because you follow Jesus, everybody in your family is okay with God. It just means this, you're not polluted. In fact, you're the influencer in this situation. Number four, number four, spiritual differences do not have to dictate personal happiness. Okay, so we, I understand this. I talk to people regularly who are in a marriage where there's, there's just differences spiritually. One's resolved, one's unresolved, one's following Jesus, one isn't. And it can be really painful, right? And you can actually feel quite alone. And it's really hard when you're trying to figure out how to raise kids or I, parents, I talk to parents all the time who have kids that are not following Jesus and it just breaks your heart. It just breaks your heart. You don't know what to do. I mean, it just extends in the family. It, here's, here's what Paul is saying. He's saying this, you can stay in that relationship and you can just keep loving them and know if you love them that much that God loves them more than you ever could. You know, the Bible doesn't say much about who you're supposed to marry. Um, regularly, like we'll talk to people who are saying, hey, we, we're thinking about getting married and we wanna know like, how do you know 
who the right person is. And it's one of those pastoral questions where I'm like, got a little test you can take, but the Bible is very silent when it comes to who you're supposed to marry. In fact, let me give you an example. I was 20 years old when I was considering asking my wife, Jenny, to marry me. And I was 20 intuitively. I knew I was like making a lot of mistakes in my life and I didn't want to make one more that would affect someone else. And so I, I did everything. Like I bought a ring. I had it for three months hidden in my hiking boot. And here's why it was hidden. I, I would like every night I would just spend time. I'd fall on my face and I'd go, God, I just, I want to know. Am I the right one for her? Is she the right one for me? Is this your will? Do you want me to marry her? Just like, give me a go. I've got the ring in my boot. I'll get it out. I'll put it on her finger. But I was just waiting for the green light from God. After three months, one day I was so frustrated. I was laying on the ground praying and I just, I finally heard from God. And this is what he said. Do you want to marry her? I'm like, yeah. Okay. So I did. And here's why I think God does that. The first time we had our big argument, he didn't want me to go, you told me to marry this woman. <laughs> like, this is not working out. What were you thinking, God? Because it was about my choice and it was about her choice, right? There's one prohibition in the Bible that is consistent. It moves throughout Old and New Testament. It is this, when it comes to marriage, we're told this, don't be unequally yoked. You'll hear that over and over. And it's going back to an agrarian and agricultural example where you have two oxen, and they're plowing a field, they're pulling something heavy behind them. And the idea of two people being unequally yoked is this, is that one is passionate about following Jesus and one isn't. Because here's what happens in that relationship. One's pulling ahead and one's pulling backwards. And you either end up going in circles or you're both exhausted. And that is when you're deciding who you're supposed to marry, right? And so I look at believers all the time and I say, hey, listen, like I can't tell you if you know how compatible you are. There's a few tools we have for that. All I need to know is make sure you guys are on the same page regarding who Jesus is. Because if not, it's going to be tough. This is different. This is people who like, like neither one of us had any idea who Jesus was. And now we know who Jesus is. And so we're unequally yoked. And Paul says, don't let it dictate whether or not you'll be happy. Stay in that marriage. Love well, follow Jesus, let him take care of business. Here's the fifth and final thing. I love that Paul throws out this, who knows? Who knows? So he's speaking to people who are desperately praying and they're, they're struggling and they, they want the people they love to know Jesus. And Paul says, listen, stay in the marriage, keep loving. Don't let that determine whether or not you'll be happy. But I want you to think about what could happen. I want you to think about this. The story isn't complete. I was talking to my friend Craig Anderson this week and I, we were walking through this passage and he goes, hey, who knows? We can say that because God's favorite activity is redemption. I thought about that for a moment. I thought this was brilliant. If there's one thing that God loves to do, it's to redeem, it's to heal, it's to bring people into relationship with him. 
And so Paul goes, hey, you just, you just keep loving your family members. You keep following Jesus and you keep praying and you keep living the most authentic life you possibly can. Because chances are your words are not going to convince them. Maybe, maybe you'll get the moment to explain who Jesus is. But chances are that it's your transformed life. It's when they see you and they're like, man, that was my dad and he was an angry man and I was always scared of him growing up. But man, his life with Jesus has transformed him and now he's loving and he's gentle and he's kind. That is the absolute best apologetic. That is the thing that convinces people maybe there's something to this Jesus is I've seen my family members' life absolutely transformed by the power of Jesus. So you just keep living it. You probably won't co coerce, manipulate, convince your family members to follow Jesus, but live it as legitimately as possible. Be the first one to repent when you've made a mistake. Be as authentic as possible. I had a dear friend, Jen and I, we worked with her. Her name was Kathy Rice. Kathy was just this fantastic person. It was uh, years ago at a church we worked at. Kathy had a husband named Tim. And um, Tim was not a follower of Jesus. Kathy is completely sold out. And she, like, I just watched her and admired her. She loved him. She spoke highly about him. And then she, like, she just couldn't move the needle on his spiritual life. And so she got me engaged. She's like, hey, my husband likes to fish. You're going to go fishing with him. I'm like, okay, all right. So I spend time with Tim and we're like hanging out. Now I'm trying to like find a door of opportunity. Like maybe God let me talk to him. And it, after like months of trying this, I call Kathy. I go, Kathy, like Tim just doesn't want to go there right now. He just doesn't want to go there. And I, like, I'm really, really sorry. I'm going to be his friend. She's like, okay, okay. She calls me like three years later. And she goes, you're not going to believe this. Tim told me today that he's a follower of Jesus. I'm like, are you serious? I've been praying with you. You've been praying for a decade or more. I said, well, when did this happen? She goes, he told me he made the decision four years ago. <laughs> but didn't want me to feel satisfied. To be like, oh. So he kept it under wraps. And he just felt like today was the day to tell me. <laughs> I was like, who knows, right? That's what Paul's saying, like, you never know. My friend, Tony George, he's on our church council. He oversees our finances. Um, it, it, it's the funniest story. If you met Tony, he is like as intense as they come. He loves Jesus with all his heart. Well, when he met Jesus 20 some years ago, like his life is completely turned around. He was just headed in one direction. So he's from Ohio and he goes home for Christmas and all his siblings, mom and dad are there. He, guess what he buys everybody? Like radical conversion. He buys everybody like really nice leather bound Bibles for Christmas gifts. And he, he waits, you know, they're opening presents and he has them all open their new leather bound Bibles at the same time. He opens them and then around the Christmas tree, Christmas morning, he just lets them have it. Listen, you're holding that Bible and in your hands is the thing that could change your life. This Bible's transformed. And he like, he took over Christmas morning with this intense preaching and like all of his, you know, his dad's like, I changed your diaper, you know, like. 
who are you to tell me about Jesus in your new experience, right? And so Tony was like completely devastated. He thought it would be this magical Christmas morning of mass conversion in his family. It didn't happen. 20 some years later, Tony's mom and dad come and visit. His mom's passed on. And uh, Tony calls me. He goes, I was with my dad today. My dad told me, hey, Tony, I want you to know I'm okay with Jesus now. I've been watching you. And his mom said the same thing before death. It was 20 years. But here's what they eventually saw. They saw Tony George transformed into a different man. And more than a leather-bound Bible on Christmas morning was a changed son. And it convinced both of them that Jesus was real and they surrendered his life to him. Who knows? That family member, spouse, child, grandchild, aunt, uncle, brother, sister, dear, dear friend. And you wonder, how's this ever gonna happen? This is what Paul would say. You keep living your life. You stay in relationship. You love them well. And who knows? Because if you care, I guarantee you that God cares. And you can't change them, but God can change someone from the inside out. And if God's favorite activity is redemption, let God do his work. Will you pray with me? Lord, everybody, we all, we have people we love who are in different places spiritually. Lord, we pray this. We pray to the God whose favorite activity is redemption. And would you work in these lives? Would you change hearts? We cannot change hearts. We cannot convince. The spirit of God can draw people. Lord, this is what we determine to do as followers. To live as authentic, repentant, humble, transformed as we possibly can. Lord, would you do the work in us that proves your existence? God, we pray for the people we love. They're in your hands. And who knows? There's no guarantee. But God says, just watch. Just watch what we can do. I want to pray for all of us who would consider ourselves spiritually unresolved. You're not sure what you believe. Listen, somebody has been praying for you. It's somebody who is imperfect. They've probably said things that sometimes made sense and sometimes did not make sense. But they've cared about you. It, it, sometimes it's been bothersome because it's been so repetitive and they want to keep talking about spiritual things and you're not there. Listen, it's this love for Jesus and this love for you that has driven them. And in this moment, for some of us, it's the, it's the time. It's the time to surrender your life to Jesus. Not just asking if you believe in him, but are you ready to surrender yourself to him? And if that's you, I'm gonna ask everybody to keep their eyes closed, but would you just raise your hand and wave at me? I wanna make eye contact. Yes, and yes, yes, yes. Anybody else in the center section? Okay, now on my left, yeah. I see you. If you're in the balcony, if that's you, you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus. You just wave at me. Okay, yeah, yeah. I see you, yes, there as well. 
And if you're watching, you look right into your screen right now, the Lord sees you. So if you raise your hand, you are now sons and daughters of God. Your life is in the beginning process of radical transformation. And we celebrate what God is doing. Would you just applaud with me for all those who raise their hands? We love it, we love it, we love it. If you raised your hand, I would love to get a Bible in your hand, a little book to help you explore how to begin. Those are available at the Welcome Center. Also, if you're a guest, we got a gift free at the Welcome Center. If you need prayer about anything, there's people up front you can trust. They'd love to pray for you. All those things are available online as well. As you go, be the hands and the feet and the mouthpiece of Jesus. God bless you guys. You're loved. We hope that this helps you take your next step on your spiritual journey. If you'd like to get involved with the work and ministry of Faith Chapel, visit faithchapel.cc and click on Next Steps. If you'd like to speak to a pastor or connect with us in any way, email connect at faithchapel.cc. We look forward to connecting with you soon.